0: Life is made of teeny catalytic moments of immense impact. When strung together, the transformation is magical. Join us and let's color outside the lines. Welcome to the Catalyst Podcast. In this episode, you're going to meet Dr. Tara Scott, hormone guru. She helps people find the cause of their symptoms and get them on a path to optimal health. With over 25 years of experience and three board certifications in OB-GYN, functional medicine, and integrative medicine, Dr. Scott has helped thousands of patients struggling with hormone issues, including endometriosis, breast cancer, and weight gain. She's the founder of Revitalize Medical Group and Hormone Guru Academy, a course to help patients improve their hormone problems themselves. After suffering from infertility and curing her own endometriosis, she now helps others achieve that same balance. She recently partnered her practice with Forum Health to take Revitalize to the next level. Dr. Scott has been speaking, including a recent TEDx talk, and educating for over 10 years and has taught doctors her approach in five continents. For her expertise, she has been featured in The List TV, Women's Health, Shape, Newsweek, Parents. Authority Magazine, and on numerous podcasts. You are going to love this interview because in it, we talk all about the different ways that integrative and functional practitioners approach hormone testing. It is not your mama's hormones, let me tell you. Back in conventional practice, you just learn to set it and forget it. You don't really recheck Dr. Tara breaks it down. What is serum testing telling you? Why urine? Why saliva? And why would you want to test your hormones in different areas and milestones of your life? So listen, Dr. Tara will help you understand the depth and the productivity that we can reach with accurate hormone investigation and treatment. Enjoy this episode. Oh my goodness. Dr. Tara Scott, I'm so excited to have you on the Catalyst podcast. This is a dream come true. You are the hormone guru, and I am such a super fan. I know that we are professional and just personal friends for a couple of years, but watching you and your enterprise just expand across TikTok has been so fun in the last few years. So, welcome to the podcast,
1: Dr. Tara. Thank you for having me and you know I just have to say a lot of your advice and collaboration has gotten to me to where I am today so oh. your advice and and in a lot of stuff
0: Thank you. I appreciate that. That's how friends work, right? We catalyze better beginnings and endings and all this stuff. And you are just filled with lots of really interesting twists and turns in your journey. You know, like me, you were conventionally trained and in your own practice. And now you're independent, you're running a functional practice with form health, and you have this really amazing platform of teaching women about what they didn't know about their hormones and understanding the deeper aspects of that. So tell me a little- bit about your journey.
1: Yeah. So as you said, I was very traditionally trained and I spent many years delivering babies and doing hysterectomies. And I really actually loved that. But um, when my family was young and the malpractice insurance was very high, I took a year off delivering babies and I was approached by a pharmacist who said, Hey, do you want to learn about hormones? And so I went to my first hormone conference. And this was in 2003. So that just tells you how long ago it was. And I was really, really hooked on that approach of a, and at the time they weren't calling it functional medicine, but it was the the root cause approach, and so uh, it really was profound in how I approached patients. And then a few years later, my brother suddenly died of a heart attack at 38, and so his death was completely preventable. He had every risk factor, and he was healthy to, And his endocrinologist knew he was a diabetic. Um, So I really wanted to shift to focus more on prevention, you know, and women's health. So I first started, um, I became a certified menopause practitioner because that was really all I knew about, which is still traditional, but more training on hormones. And then did the fellowship from A4M and then got that board certification and then got the board certification um, from integrative medicine. And I'm about five-sevenths through my IFM certification. as well. I just obviously am a lifetime learner. So it's been a long evolution. I started kind of just doing it within my traditional practice, setting aside a half day a week to talk about women's hormones and still being kind of traditional about it until I really finished my um, board certification and opened a separate brick and mortar practice. Even though we were under the same roof, I had a separate delineation of this is my functional medicine practice and this is my uh, regular gynecology practice.
0: Oh my gosh, I love that. And you're based in Akron, Ohio. Yes. Right. And at the time when you were building that separate functional practice, I find a lot of practitioners. Notice they can't unsee it. Like once you see the root cause approach, you know, once you see the benefit of taking that approach, and might I say a plug for LP three, where you where you teach. I've taken several of your courses, and they are just amazing. the The syllabus, the hands out, I, the handouts. I keep them right here at my desk, and I refer to them often. Um, as a practitioner from our side, we're not taught this kind of in depth treatment of hormones and menopause and all these transitions. So you're helping people not just Patients, but practitioners that learn from you. It's really changing the view. Do you think do you think medicine is changing their approach to menopause, or do you think it's still only a functional integrative approach?
1: Well, um, having just come back from the annual meeting of the North American Menopause Society, I don't think it's changed a whole lot, unfortunately. There's still very they do not think you need to check hormone levels, they do not think you need to monitor hormone theta. The patient comes in with symptoms, you just hand them hormones and you don't, you don't test at all. That's what they still are teaching. Although they are producing evidence that hormone therapy is safe when one time we thought it wasn't safe. So it's still, I think someone presented research of something like 80% of the patients were still on PremPro. And I was like, who is even writing PremPro? So no, I don't think most traditional practitioners are, are taking this approach. Um, So I think, you know, if you're interested, it's because you have a personal vested interest, you have hormone issues yourself, or there's a personal family member that has hormone issues. And obviously my gynecology background kind of led me down this path of hormones anyway, in my own personal journey with my hormones and infertility. So I think, you know, there are a lot of avenues to learn, as you mentioned, um, and it's hard to weed through because there is actually no standard of care in the industry. Right, right. And this is
0: a great segue into the idea that we are unique in our approach to medicine. It's the an art and science of medicine. And we're also kind of galvanized through our stories. I mean, you had your brother's death. You had to live through your own infertility. And some of these pivotal moments in your life will catalyze your, your quest to to learn and to do better and offer things for your patient. and. That's the thing that always boggled my mind as a regular family practice doctor, you know, going through, you know, there was all this clickbait on oh, bioidentical hormones is so oh, it's awful, it's dangerous. And really what conventional medicine's doing, I would say is more dangerous. We're not monitoring. They're not monitoring the levels. They're just like you said, set it and forget it. This is what you're on and and really the, to take the whole wool over our eyes of bioidentical, it's really actually better medicine because you're you're trying to match, you know, what is needed for a patient. Do you want to break down the whole idea of what bioidentical hormones truly might mean for somebody listening?
1: Yes. And I'm going to take a step back because you you said something that made me think um, the, in the hormone world. There is the traditional, like we mentioned, like the North American Menopause Society. First, understand that an OBGYN gets zero training in menopause. We do not; we are not taught what to prescribe, how to prescribe, risk benefits. I would say if you pulled 10 gynecologists, even 100 gynecologists, 98% would say they are scared of hormone therapy. They don't prescribe it. They don't recommend it. So you've got the traditional world, but then you've got this hormone world where I don't know where they've done their training, but they're just giving hormones. It's And I'm not saying anything bad about pellets, but the pellet does fall into that. There's these hormone doctors that are actually giving it a bad name because they're not looking for root cause. They're not checking the gut. They're not checking adrenals. They're only checking hormones. And so at least they're monitoring. So it's a step better because they're monitoring. They are prescribing bioidenticals. Bioidentical just means that it's chemically, structurally the same as what our body makes. So that would be like if you were a diabetic and you had a blood sugar of 30, and I was worried you were going to pass out, and I gave you Splenda, nothing would happen, right? Because you need glucose, right? So that's the difference between something synthetic like Prempro, Provera, birth control pills, whatever. It's synthetic. So you've got that middle group that are hormone doctors. And they are the people that the North American menopause sees, the charlatans that are just Charging and again, I'm right. not offending anybody. They, so I get these messages that oh, I spent um, $495 a month on my hormone therapy. I'm like, what costs $495? Because the doctor is prescribing it and also selling it, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, there are those people. So they they're a little bit better in the sense that they're maybe personalizing, maybe they're not, and they're maybe testing, maybe they're not. And then there's the the functional side, which honestly, I lived in that middle thing for a few years until I finished my fellowship because I didn't understand, right? It's like the more you learn, then you realize the less you know. Yeah, absolutely. So I lived in that middle segue for, you know, from maybe 2003 until 2012 when I finished my fellowship. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, why am I giving this? No wonder, I got to look at the gut. I got to look at their adrenals. I got to look at their sleep, their diet. And and then I actually prescribe less now than I did then, um, because if you take a holistic approach with patients, so then there's this functional world which we're still criticized by the outsider because the testing is not covered and they don't see it as as medically necessary. A traditional person and it's expensive, and a lot of us have tried the model to work with insurances, and we're not now, so we're off insurance, so it's self pay. So we're still looked at as we're still trying to do it for the money, and that you know, I get all kinds of shade on TikTok from the traditional gynecologists about like how anybody that recommends a Dutch test, you should unfollow them immediately. They're just doing it for the money. And there's only one lab that runs the Dutch test. Well, that's actually not true. There's four labs that do urine testing, but one of them is dried urine, I guess. So, you know, so that, you know, they're speaking about what they don't know about. And they're also saying it's a bad name. So it's a really difficult place to be. Like if, you know, if you're a family practice doctor functional, and you're just trying to talk to someone about stress and diet, it's not as controversial as like the hormone world I don't feel I don't know maybe you feel different. I
0: love it you really eloquently just gave us a timeline a beautiful timeline uh for practitioners and for patients on the evolution of hormone prescribing and I love that you touched on everything very diplomatically that you know it isn't that people are trying to hurt you but what you don't know can hurt you and yes. and that is how we all grow up in medicine you just kind of follow along until you realize wait I'm questioning this I don't is this something that's accurate and I agree. When you talk about some of these spas and clinics that have hormone therapies, are they really truly integrative or functional or holistic? Not usually they're just looking at hormones. And like you had mentioned having that holistic approach. So there's so much that can impact your hormones. I especially love that you said you prescribe less than you did before, because you know, you're looking at gut, you're looking at adrenals, all the other things. And I have to pause and say, you are the queen of metaphors always um i love your splenda metaphor i also love my favorite and i'm going to have you say it on air because it is my favorite it is the one about your daughter changing going to college oh, wearing yes. a different outfit and you're describing yeah. the metabolism and detoxification do you want to share that one
1: metaphor That's actually pertinent because that's how I talk about the different types of hormone testing. And so when I, and, and, you know, patients understand medicine. So when I'm talking to a patient about what are the different types of hormone testing and when to use it, because that's the other thing to watch out for. If you're getting education about hormones and they say only do this type of testing, there is not one right test. And I would never say do this and not the other. So be wary of people who say only do urine, be wary of people say only yes. do saliva or only do serum. So I do all four types of testing. So if you're talking about serum testing, we have the most data about serum testing. Most of the drugs when they're coming to FDA approval have to provide serum testing and serum levels, right? So we have data about that. And we actually have Um, there was a workshop in 2019 where the menopause society got together to try to think about like, should we look at these ranges of hormones? And now we have these new, more sensitive LCMS, but hormone uh, blood testing and hormones is one point in time. Plus most of these lipophilic hormones are tightly bound to proteins, SHBG, TBG, so, it's very difficult to really know what's free. Um, so, if you go to, if I go next door to my bank and get my bank account balance, I know how much I have in my bank right then. But what if I have to pay rent tomorrow? Yes. What if somebody pays me the next day? It's constantly going up and down. So we can be mindful about how we do serum testing. And for things like thyroid, that's a large peptide hormone. It's a little bit, it's, it is also bound to TBG, but it's, it's a different uh, molecular structure. So we can assay that a little bit differently. So certain things are great for blood, especially anything metabolic, your insulin, your glucose, you can do it all in one fell swoop. So, but you have to be intentional about when you're checking female hormones, if they still cycling, if they have ovaries, not ovaries. So when I think about saliva testing, how I think it's most helpful, one, we know that cortisol in the saliva, you can get the diurnal curve for that. And then you don't have to go to a lab. So you can collect four times throughout the cycle. But I feel that saliva testing is good for two things. Among other one is when you give a topical hormone you cannot look for an elevation in a serum in, in a serum lab because when you apply it on topically it's going to go through the skin in through the epidermis it's on the red blood cell for about 3 seconds and then when it's disseminated it doesn't go back to the venous circulation where we check venous labs, it it gets back through the lymphatics. So you're not going to see a bump up in serum testing with a topical hormone. With a patch, you might, with something orally that's going to go third pass through the liver, it's going to get into the venous system. So you have to be careful about that. So salivary testing, you will see a bump up, but things like progesterone, which is on the left side of the serogenic cascade, can have a very exaggerated bump up. You can have a high levels. I don't see those high levels as much with topical testosterone, or um, topical estrogen, estradiol gel. Now, if I have a lot of women who if their husbands are taking testosterone, they can get high salivary levels. So there can be contamination as well, if you've touched the towel that they've watched. So those are downsides to saliva, but what I feel it's also helpful is what is your body doing with estrogen? Because we know estradiol can convert via 17 beta HSD to estrone. Those two types of estrogen act differently in the breast and the uterus. Estrone is like the bad one that wants to cause stimulation of the breast and the uterus and estradiol is also potent, but is more equal about the alpha and the beta receptor. So I worry about people, you know, just coming back from NAMS, what my whole poster was about is serum evaluation of a high-risk patient for breast cancer. I believe it can be done. I presented the data that it could be done because the studies have shown that estrone is high, and that correlates with a higher risk of breast cancer in the future. One study actually said that one serum measurement can predict breast cancer risk for 16 to 20 years. Which wow, is a little bit out there for someone who's you know cycling a lot. But so that conversion of estradiol to estrone is a reversible con- conversion, and it depends on a lot of other things that can augment and inhibit that in, that um, that enzyme. So if you're looking in the blood. That's not where that happens. So the example that I give is if my daughter, she's 20, she leaves the house on a Friday night and sweats and tells me she's going to go study. And I think, oh, my gosh, she's such a good kid. And then she gets to her friend's house, takes off her sweats, reveals her tank top and mini skirts, fills out her, pulls out her fake ID and goes clubbing. I'm never going to see that conversion because it happens out of the house. <laughs> So the house being the blood vessel, the tissue being somewhere else. So that conversion to estrone to me is very important for female pathology, for heavy periods, for breast cancer, endometrial cancer, endometriosis, fibroids, all those things are important for estrogen pathology. That is beautiful. Keep going. Keep going. That's why I like saliva. Now urine, you're saying, well, when do we do urine? So if you think about urine, what is urine? Well, you have an ovary, it's pumping out estrogen in the ovarian artery, but then it's going to go to the tissues. Then it goes from blood into the kidney, into the urine. It's not hitting that periphery. It's not going to the sub Q. It's not going to catch aromatization in my opinion. Now, Mark Newman and I have had Extensive discussions about this. He hasn't been able to provide any literature that supports that it, you know, it, it will catch that peripheral aromatization. Even if you see estrone in the in the urine, it doesn't mean that you've caught that that happens in the tissue. So I don't know. I could be wrong, but when I look at urine, you're not looking at parent compounds really that often. You're looking at metabolites. So to me, it'd be back to the money. If my accountant says I need to prepare your taxes, and I just handed him, you know, my bank statement, that's not telling the whole story. He's going to know how much did you spend on payroll? What did you pay on advertising? How much was rent? That's the receipts. So when we look at the urine testing, it's like your receipts. How did you break down estrogen? How are you breaking down cortisol to cortisone? How do you break down testosterone? Plus, you get kind of an add benefits, at least with the Dutch test about those organic acids. So for me, I love it for the evaluation of cortisol and cortisone. I love it for estrogen detoxification and metabolism, which is important with anybody. Like I say, breast cancer, endometriosis, teens with acne. I mean, a lot, that's what we need to find out is there's usually a problem with estrogen metabolism. And then I also do blood spot, not as common, but Medicare patients, it was covered, but now that I'm not a Medicare provider, but if you're a Medicare provider and you order a ZRT blood spot, it is covered by Medicare. Yes. Um, But like I said, since I'm not a provider anymore, I can't give it to my patients, but it was a great thing, especially when COVID was and everyone, nobody wanted to leave their house. We would send them a ZRT blood spot test. It's a finger stick in the finger stick. You're getting capillary blood. So you can test You know, thyroid, you can test metabolic parameters, you can test cortisol, you can't really test estriol. You can test, I don't even actually know if you can test estrone actually in their assay, but you can test hormones. So if you're giving somebody, for example, a troche, and they're dissolving it, you can't do a saliva test because it'll stay in their saliva for 72 hours. So then you have to have them stop it. Then are you really getting steady state levels from regular use? No. Well, you can do a urine test, but anything you do orally or even sublingually, 90% is created in your urine. So if you give someone progesterone, you're going to see these huge values on progesterone if you've given them oral dosing the night before. So you have to kind of weed through that too. So blood spot testing, I think is great for somebody who does a troche or maybe that male on testosterone because you don't want to do saliva or, you know, you're worried about what you see. So I think it's another really viable option that a lot of people don't know about um, and don't, don't use, but it's a really good option. So I think, I I
0: love how you've broken these down to understand and explain. It isn't one size fits all. There's many different ways and lenses that we can look at how your body is, you know, metabolizing the hormones. And this is so complex, but you make it sound so easy in your social media (laughs) on TikTok. Um, Especially if, and I'm going to ask a question that maybe is going to be difficult to answer, but what do you do when people are on several different methods? Maybe they've got a patch and maybe you got oral, maybe like, how do you choose? What do you have? Like the one test that you're like, I'll I'll just do the saliva. I'll do the urine. Do you have your favorite?
1: I actually don't have a favorite. Um, I I do like them all. I've had lots of of discussions with Dr. Zava from ZRT. Love him, respect him. There's also a guy, there's a lab in um, Canada for anybody in Canada called Rocky Mountain Analytical, Dr. George Gilson. He's a, he's a family practice, but amazing, like done tons of data on different types of testing my practice pattern, because I practice in middle Ohio, not middle Ohio, but middle America, we, our patients are like middle patients. They're not like elite. Right. And I'd never wanted to have an elitist practice and just being a cash practice. It's a barrier for a lot of people. I mean, we do have a, like a BIPOC special, uh, uh, What's it called? Scholarships. So we'll have a couple people that will take for free, but you know, it's there, it's unfortunately a barrier for a lot of people. So we do have to watch budget in our practice. So usually serum testing is covered by most insurances most of the time. And for whatever reason, I, I even have like a friend of mine from med school who's she and her husband are doctors at UPMC in Pittsburgh. And they're like, there's no way this is going to get covered. Like, I ordered all the blood tests on her it was all covered. He's like, what diagnosis? He's a family practice guy. What diagnosis code did you use to get all this stuff covered? I just don't understand, you know? So there's usually a decent amount of coverage for serum testing unless you have a high deductible for most patients. So we'll generally do serum testing once a year. And if you're cycling, you know, it's easier to do serum testing. Of course, if you're on thyroid or for watching your metabolic parameters, we have to do serum testing. And then depending on how you're taking your hormones, but like you said, maybe they're doing an estrogen gel like Divi gel and they're doing a topical progesterone or something. So how do you decide, or maybe they're oral. So what usually ends up happening is between the ages of 50 and 60, the North American Menopause Society says the benefit outweigh the risk. So you think your your traditional counterparts are doing no testing, right? So you really could get away with serum testing every year while it's not like, it, there's no standard of care, like I said. So best practices would be to do some kind of functional testing every so often in there. Just to make sure, why do we even test? To make sure we're not overtreating the patient, make sure we're not unbalanced treating them That's really why, I mean, there's some debate to say, do you really need to get them into the range? Listen to how they feel. If they feel great, whatever. I mainly test patients to make sure I'm not over-treating them, basically. Same, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, After 60, you know, not that there's an increased risk of um, hormones. It's just that the benefits aren't as greater according to the data. So I will make them do a functional test every year. And usually we end up alternating Saliva, Dutch. I mean, and if they have an abnormal Dutch, then I'll want to repeat that again. Now, if everything was free, we'd do something every visit, right? Every six months we'd run something. But the the reality is it's not. So usually it ends up being once a year serum and then either saliva in the next six month visit and maybe the next year, then it's serum and then it's urine. And sometimes patients will say, oh, I hated that pee test. I don't want to do that. Or they'll have the opposite. I couldn't spit because I'm on an antidepressant and my mouth is dry. So the patients will help you pick which tests to do if all are equal. I love this. You're very
0: much a giving us that gestalt view of what personalized medicine is. This is the art of medicine, that it isn't a cookie-cutter approach, that you're right. It depends on the patient's history. What other meds are they on? What would make sense for their case? I love this. Um, and for if you're a patient or a practitioner i mean really honestly give yourself the gift and go follow at hormone guru you're on tiktok you're on instagram because the tiktoks the questions you answer i'm i'm like amazed cuz i love watching and and just i'm amazed because you can do it in less than like sixty seconds, often, and I'll see the question. I go, "How is she going to do it?" It's like a gamified. I'm like, "How is she going to do it?" But you do. You answer the question, and you're getting so good at just you know being able to explain these really complex topics that even practitioners have a hard time. You know, I'm always referring to your LP3 handbook, going, "Okay, what 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 should I be ordering again? Should I repeat this?" Um, so here's a question: What is the most common question that you probably get on social media, on TikTok, that you have to answer?
1: Um, Probably it's about type of testing. It's probably about like, people are confused because there are some people on TikTok that have more followers than me that are traditional practitioners, gynecologists, or menopause, call themselves menopause experts for whatever reason. And they do not believe in testing and they've made it a mission to actually slam this approach. So not only do they want to just do their own thing, they want to make sure they Slam. What Test. you mean social media has conflict? Are you kidding? <laughs> There's no. some on there,
0: yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and that can be very hard when you really feel anchored in this approach. You certainly have all your training and all your yes. collection of certifications. So how do you take care of yourself. And this is more diving into the anti-burnout, you know, passion that I have. How do you stay vibrant and excited on TikTok?
1: Do you batch your sessions? Do you take a break? Tell me how you do it. That's really interesting. Cause I've been on TikTok since April of 2021. And I've, I don't, I may have only missed one day. Of wow. Course. In that whole time, 18 months, whatever I've posted. So mostly I batch stuff and I have like a couple admin days or even sometimes Saturday mornings. And, you know, honestly, it depends on what day I wash my hair because it has to be a good hair day to film a video. Of course. So, I don't wash my hair every day. So, it has to be like, okay, I'm camera ready today. So, or or you
0: could wear your broccoli hat, which is my personal favorite. I love that. I
1: know. And some of those are so cringy. And sometimes I send them to my teenage, she's not, she's actually not a teenager anymore. Send it to my daughter. I'm like, is this too cringy? Cause I have gotten some, like, I literally have maybe two videos of all those videos that I'm even remotely dancing. And a couple of people have commented. Doctor, you're a terrible dancer. Can you stick to the whatever? Yes, I know I'm a terrible dancer. That's why I don't dance on TikTok. But it's- whatever exactly I, i'm so ju- there people are so judgy but anyway i do batch my content and i have a little bit of a i have a little notebook that i have um when ideas come to me so for example at the at the conference that you know, even though it was traditional nams i there were several pearls that um i'm like this would be a good video and one of them i just put on yesterday i think and i had 200,000 views it was these medications cause weight gain they had a, they had a great lecture by an obesity medicine doctor And I'm like, wow, these medicines cause weight gain. And so you, after a while, you can understand if you look at your metrics, what patients want to hear from you. Patients only want to hear about hormones from you. They don't even want to hear about exercise, like lifestyle things. It's just so interesting. So I I study, you know, my metrics and see, um, but I'll just make a bunch. And so I think I have like 30 in my queue now because I'm going to be out of town for two weeks. And I don't know if I will be able to make videos. I'll take, you know, my, my, travel tripod with me and light and in case something comes up but i may not have any time to make any so i've got to get something ready to post I every- love
0: this i love this you're hitting on so many of our of our flow channeled methods like you have yeah. anchored into your mission you know it's the aha method anchor is step 1 and you've anchored into it i mean you know that you love hormones you live and breathe them you talk about them people want to hear more so you've anchored and then you highlight your own metrics and it's the way you do things right you you know you want to you want to produce one a day you batch your content you're very flow channeled you you're very very diligent with your notebook which is awesome cuz ideas happen all the time and we just have to collect them and yep. you've yep. got your system down and so the last part of the aha is activate which is activating your own energy to help prevent emotional exhaustion so what do you do in your own life that just activates you i know you're a runner what else do you do anything oh, else that's actually- fun
1: Some of the runs, and mostly a lot, I do run with friends because it's your only social time. But there'll be a few times that maybe I'll even just have a couple miles of that run. And that is when I find myself in flow a lot. Mm -hmm. Ideas come to me when I'm running. Even if I'm working through a a, a problem, I could even have my headphones on. So that is a time me and it seems like some of my best content it is just like what you would describe as flow someone like me might not know that's what's happening but it's like whoa it just comes to me like these these um what are they called? I can't even think of the word. Like um, epiphanies. Analogies. The analogies yes. come to me, right? And so, um, I running is a big thing. Unfortunately, I have been watching a lot of Netflix lately. But I mean, I lay in my PMF when I do it. So love I love it. I do that. I, I shouldn't be doing that as much, but it's kind of like a mental break um i am I, I what i really like to do is i do really like to just read like mindless fiction but i don't let myself do that that often cuz i just finished my recertification for my obgyn boards and i've got a little bit more cme i got to finish before the end of the year so i've got like okay i'm going to read 15 pages of this every night and i'm going to do this and you know i had to get through that poster and i had like work to do right. that's not patience. So you got your patients, you got your charting, and then I had this other work, whatever content, or if I'm preparing a lecture for something, you know, you have deadlines of a webinar or whatever. So it's difficult to to put that all in. So
0: it is, but you're you're rocking it. You're you're flying high on that flow and just getting it done. And I love that you mentioned running and that that release and that's the alpha brainwaves that happen when you're doing a bilateral activity. It connects the neuroplastic areas of your brain and it produces these. These moments of immense clarity where you're like, oh, that's a great idea. So now I know where your metaphors live. It's in your run. Okay. So I'm gonna be like, you need to keep running because those are yeah. am- amazing metaphors. And I think I'm sure you might feel the same that when those things happen, sometimes I'm scrambling to write it down because they can go away. Like all of a sudden that idea is gone. So I'm looking for my phone. I'm like, how can I yeah. write that down? Oh my goodness. Okay. So here's the last fun question. Um obviously. I usually ask people, what do you want to be known for? It's obvious you're known for immense knowledge on hormones. I mean, really the hormone guru is a great name for you because you've (laughs) done, you've done the time and you can explain it. You have colorful ways to describe the metaphors. You're very relatable. So let's do like a fun kind of backtracky question. What
1: would we find you doing on a Saturday morning in third grade? Oh gosh, third grade. I did not run then. I probably was playing soccer. Actually, it's oh, cool, cool. I playing soccer. I was, I mean, I always was kind of interested in sports. If you would have said 10th grade, I was on the speech team, but it wasn't debate. It was humorous interpretation. So it was oh, like, my I, goodness. Goodness. I know, not not could because I that. not because I was good at it, but because the hot guys were in that.
0: Uh, wise decision, wise decision. (laughs) Absolutely. Oh my goodness. Dr. Tara Scott, thank you again for saving a sliver of time to educate both patients and practitioners all about
1: hormones. Where can we find you online? So if you are a practitioner, um, as, um, Laura mentioned, I do teach for LP3 network and since COVID we've shifted a little bit. I think they've been mostly online. Um, we have a beginning program that's two days. We have a one day standalone advanced. These are all case studies with physiology evidence, and then cases to work through. Um, I believe our next LP3, um, Program is coming up in December. I don't know if that's going to be hybrid or live or just virtual yet. Um, we have some dates. It's usually, it, it used to be a lot more often, but it seems like it's just twice a year now since COVID. Um, I do teach for A4M, and I know I have, they're revamping their uh, BHRT. They're, they're going to do something new and exciting. They said for February and March, I'll be teaching in Boca Raton at those two programs. It kind of just, depends on, they usually do those, I think four times a year, the BHRT symposiums. So I think they're going to try to make it more folks focused with case studies and, you know, smaller groups and interacting, which I think is really helpful um, in February and March. Um, Also online. um, So I have one website, Dr. Tara Scott, MD, uh, or Dr. Dr. Tara Scott, dot com if patients if if practitioners just want like hey i just need to run some hormone cases by you can you mentor me it's just like we'll set up a call you can do you know an hour however much you can get through an hour that's through dr tara scott and then my hormone guru md is online courses now we do have those are mostly based on patients we have some a lot of free stuff some nominal cost for the um Courses. There's some standalone ones like breast cancer, I think it's like $40 or whatever. And then we have like a foundational female course and a foundational male course. I have had practitioners go through it as kind of a beginning and they have found it to be helpful to kind of lay the foundation. We do have a mentorship side as well. If you're looking for clinical mentorship, we're not really doing what you're doing with your mentees, but more like a clinical, specifically hormone um, mentoring, um, where we have lectures that are uploaded there for them to access as well. And then, like I said, you can follow me on social media, on TikTok, Hormone Guru, Hormone Guru MD, or Dr. Tara Scott on Instagram. I love it. YouTube is Tara Scott MD. You're all over,
0: all over the socials. I love it. We'll make sure those are in the show notes. And again, thank you so much, Dr. Tara. This is so fun. And everybody is better off knowing just a little bit more about hormones. Because let me tell you, it's (laughs) the tip of the iceberg. It gets more and more in depth the more you learn. So thank you for educating all of us. Well, and thanks for everything you do for practitioners. All right. And keep coloring outside the lines, everybody. Till next time. Thank you for listening and subscribing to the Catalyst Podcast. As a physician who survived my own burnout by prescribing creativity, I love teaching others how to apply the neuroscience of flow so they can redesign their work-life masterpiece in a world where burnout will always exist. Cultivating flow takes practice, and I've developed a three-step system that you can learn in my AHA calendar planning guide. This free downloadable guide will help you anchor, highlight, and activate flow channeling methods so you can bend time and find more joy in your day. You can go to drlarasalyer.com forward slash links to download your free guide today. Keep coloring outside the lines.